so uh, if you would turn with me in your copy of God's Word to Romans chapter 2. We are beginning chapter 2 today. I hope that you'll keep uh, your scriptures uh, open in front of you this morning as we walk through this text, as we look at a couple of other texts as well. Um, Also, let me encourage you to uh, journal as well. If that's not a practice that you have, um, I think it's super helpful. Uh, to just jot down thoughts, uh, things maybe you feel like the Lord's saying to you as you read through his word and as you hear the word of God this morning. So let me encourage you in that as well. But would you join me this morning, Romans chapter 2, beginning in verse 1. Therefore you have no excuse, O man, every one of you who judges. For in passing judgment on another, you condemn yourself. Because you, the judge, practice the very same things. We know that the judgment of God rightly falls on those who practice such things. Do you suppose, O man, you who judge those who practice such things and yet do them yourself, that you will escape the judgment of God? Or do you presume on the riches of his kindness and forbearance and patience, not knowing that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance? But because of your hand or your hard and impertinent hearts, you are storing up wrath for yourself on the day of wrath when God's righteous judgment will be revealed. He will render to each one according to his works, to those who by patience in well-doing seek for glory and honor and immortality, he will give eternal life. But for those who are self-seeking and do not obey the truth, but obey unrighteousness, there will be wrath and fury. There will be tribulation and distress for every human being who does evil, the Jew first, and also the Greek. But glory and honor and peace for everyone who does good, the Jew first, and also the Greek. For God shows no partiality. The word of the Lord. So we are uh, trucking along in Romans. It's hard to believe that it's already week three. Um, As we walk into chapter two, this morning, the author of this letter, the Apostle Paul, has obviously introduced himself to believers. And um, he has declared his boldness for the gospel because it is God's power to save all who believe. Uh, But last week, he turned his attention to why we need a Savior. Uh, Because our sin, ultimately, he says, is pervasive and it's rampant. He goes through a litany of sins. He like lists them all out at the end of chapter one. And he says, because of all of this, God's wrath, which he mentions today, God's wrath is being poured out on humanity. Um, And and recently, you know, I've, I've heard people say that the current pandemic is God's wrath on humanity, that this is an example of God kind of pouring out his anger on mankind. And listen, I think based on what we've read, there is some level of truth in that. Romans 1 told us that God um, has given mankind over to his sin and depravity, and that as a result, brokenness and sin now reigns in our world. But, But don't miss this. We were experiencing God's wrath long before COVID-19 came along. It's not as if everything was fine 
before this. And, and now suddenly, like, here's God's wrath. Even in the best moments of your life, you are living in the midst of God's wrath because you are living in a world that has been given over to sin and death. You are living in a world where those things reign um, and where you are not physically present with the Lord. And that may seem normal to you. I think it's been normalized to all of us because it's all we've ever known. But it is not how God created things to be. And um, as sort of evangelical American Christians in the 21st century, there is a lot of talk in the church about God's design and what is God's design and what is not God's design. And, and the reality is, is we currently live in a world that is affected not by God's design, but by man's design. And by the fact that God has given mankind over to basically do whatever we want um, and to ultimately reap the, the results of our sin. Um, so we need to be not only saved from our own personal sin, but we also need to be saved from the ramification, ramifications of everyone else's sin and the effect that that has had on our world long term. So it's not like we were doing good and then someone messed this whole thing up and so now we have COVID-19. Um, that's, that's almost more of a pagan view of God, that God is sort of sitting on a cloud somewhere waiting to like hurl a lightning bolt at us when we mess up. That's not really a biblical picture of God's character, but it is what some people want to suggest when horrendous things happen. Um, I remember after Hurricane Katrina, people said, well, this happened to New Orleans because New Orleans is such, a, such an incredibly sinful place. And the problem with saying something like that is that it insinuates that Shreveport is not an incredibly sinful place or that our neighborhood is not equally deserving of God's wrath. We have all sinned. We have all fallen short of God's glory. We are all equally deserving of God's wrath. And we live in the midst of the effects of God's wrath even now. So, so two big takeaways as we get into today's text, two big takeaways from Romans 1 that I hope that you take with you as we move forward. First of all, all sin is an affront to God because God is holy. All sin is an affront to him. We assign degrees of severity to sin. Um, I don't get the impression from reading Paul in Romans 1 that God does quite the same thing. All of these things that Paul mentions, and he mentions a lot of different kinds of sin, all of these things are an affront to God. And we can do nothing on our own to remove ourselves from God's wrath. But secondly, in light of that, the gospel of Jesus is the greatest news that we could ever hear because Paul says it is the power of God, not the power of man. We, we, we can look around us and see what the power of men have done, has done. The power of God, though, is seen in the gospel, and it is seen in the fact that it is capable of saving all who believe. So building off of those points, Paul turns his attention today from talking about the sin of all people in general to speaking more directly to his Jewish readers, 
because some Jews held the perspective that while, while the Gentiles might be under God's wrath, the, those heathen Gentile people, while they might be under God's wrath for their unbelief, the, the Jews instead were under God's covenant, which meant to many of them that they were in a sense protected. The Gentiles are under God's wrath, but we are not because we're under God's covenant. And Paul says, not so fast, guys. Look at verse 1. He says, therefore, you have no excuse, O man, every one of you who judges. For in passing judgment on another, you condemn yourself, because you, the judge, practice the very same things. So that first verse began with the word therefore, and that therefore is coming off of chapter 1, where Paul has declared that the wrath of God is on all sin. And he ends that chapter by saying this. He says, though they know God's righteous decree, that those who practice such things deserve to, deserve to die, they not only do them, but they give approval to those who practice them. So Paul says, even though they know God's righteous decree, they continue to practice those things, and they give approval to other people who practice those things. And so who are the they? Who are the they that Paul's talking about there? They that know God's righteous decrees. Well, that probably wouldn't have been the Gentiles. It probably would not have been like the Greeks who Paul mentions. They largely, they don't know God. They, they don't know his laws. And if you remember, Paul says that doesn't excuse them because they have seen the power and divinity of God in the created world. You can look out at the world now and at the created order, even at your own body, even at your family, even at beautiful scenery, and you can see the power and divinity of God. And so no one, no one is like without, or no one has an excuse there. Everyone has seen God's power and divinity. But, but who has his law? Who has his righteous decrees? It's not the Gentiles. It's the Jews. So Paul, who was a Jew, and, and who had been a Pharisee, no less, who had been a, a Jew who was like intimately focused on the law of God, he says to his fellow Jews, you are in no position to judge others because you do exactly the same things that they do. And what's worse is you know God's decrees. You know the law and yet you still do all of these things. You know that the law says that people who do such things deserve to die, and yet you still do all of these things. So why do you think that God would treat you any different than anyone else? Verse 4, this is Paul saying, Do you presume on the riches of his kindness and forbearance and patience? Like, is that what's going on here? Do you think that God is going to treat you differently, that he's going to be more kind to you or more patient with you? Do you believe that God is going to look past your sin because you are a Jew? Because if so, Paul says you are not only wrong, you have totally missed the point of God's kindness. Again, look at verse 4. God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance. God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance. But because you are not in any way seeking to turn from your sin, he says you are simply storing up wrath for yourself on the day of judgment. 
And so, so with that in mind, just for a moment, let's let Paul turn the spotlight on us because we do the same things. First, many of us, just like many of the Jews that Paul was speaking to, many of us are people who have not only heard the gospel, but we have grown up, many of us, in faith communities, churches, where we have learned of his righteous decrees. Remember, the Great Commission is not only that we would go and make disciples, but it's that we would teach those disciples to obey everything that Christ has commanded us. Um, so for many of us who have grown up in the church, this is not new, the message of the gospel, the, the truth that we are called to be obedient to God. Those aren't new concepts for you, hopefully. So we've heard those things. But then second, we fall into the, this trap of thinking that when things are good in our lives, it must be because God's pleased with us. I had a conversation uh, just the other day with a friend of mine um, who has, has been very successful in certain ways in his life. And um, he has continually been promoted in his career. And in his mind, every time one of these good things has happened, he's thought, well, this must be what the Lord wants. This must be what God has for me. Um, things are going well, so this must be God's favor. This must be God telling me that I'm doing the right kinds of things. This must be God telling me that I am kind of living in his will. It must be some kind of a sign from him to, to just keep doing what I'm doing. But what Paul says is, it's not really that. It's instead, it's a call to you to repent and turn to him in all ways. Um, it's not just a sign that God is like pleased with you in your life right now. Because, because here's the mistake. First of all, if you're someone who's living outside of Christ, if, if you don't believe the gospel, if you haven't placed your faith in Christ, then it is impossible for you to please God. You are incapable of doing that. Um, if your faith is not in Jesus, I don't care how good things may be in your life right now. It is not a sign from the gods or the heavens or the universe that you're doing all the right stuff. What Paul says is, no, it is a sign from the Lord. His kindness towards you is a sign for you to turn to him because his current kindness is nothing but a foretaste of the immeasurable riches that are to be found in his kingdom. And so it is his grace, it is his mercy reaching out to you and saying, turn to the gospel, turn to Christ, and find life and hope. His kindness is seeking to lead you to that. Um, but if you are in Christ, like if you are a follower of Jesus, his kindness even now for you is not just an attaboy, or it's not just like a gold star on your sticker chart. Instead, his kindness for you, believer, is meant to so bowl you over that you actively seek to address the sin issues that still linger in your life. His kindness, even there, even, even now, is, is not just meant to be a, like a sign from the heavens that you are doing things right. It's meant to remind you to turn over more and more of your sin to him. So here, here's a little phrase that might help you remember this. God is not kind to you because you sin less. God is kind to you so that you will sin less. God is not kind to you because you sin less. God is kind to you so that you will sin less. 
God is kind to us just because he loves us um, and because he desires our good. But in showering his kindness and goodness on us, he is ultimately actively seeking to turn our gaze to Christ and in Christ find life and hope and seek to be conformed to his image, which is all about putting sin to death and seeking to move past recurring habitual sin. Now, with all of those things in mind, this can start to get a little bit confusing. Um, verse, verses 6, 7, and 8. Look at this. Paul says, He will render to each one according to his works, to those who by patience in well-doing seek for glory and honor and immortality, he will give eternal life. But for those who are self-seeking and do not obey the truth, but obey unrighteousness, there will be wrath and fury. Now, some people read that and say, wait a second. I thought that God's grace was a free gift and that there was nothing I could do to earn it. And, and yet here's Paul saying that he is going to give to each one according to his works. Um, but here's just a couple of things to remember. First of all, remember the context of what's happening here. Paul has turned his focus onto the Jews who commit the same kinds of sins that they judge other people for, thinking that they are saved from God's wrath simply because they are Jews. Right? That's what's happening contextually. And Paul said you have presumed on the kindness of God. Rather than allowing his kindness to lead you to repentance, many of you just continue in your sin. Like, do we not do the same things, guys? Just thinking, oh man, you know, God's going to forgive me, so I'm going to do what I want. We, we do the same kind of stuff. He says you're presuming on God's kindness. You're just assuming God's going to save you and forgive you, and, and, and you're just continuing in your sin rather than recognizing that he has saved you, he has forgiven you, and allowing his kindness to lead you towards repentance. The life shaped by repentance is a life seeking for the glory and honor that can only come in a heavenly, eternal sense. And the life shaped by unrepentance is basically seeking for the glory and honor that can only come in an earthly sense. And what Jesus said about the Pharisees who were seeking after that earthly kind of honor it was he said, I tell you, they already have their reward. Right? So when we're seeking after the glory and honor that can only come in a heavenly eternal sense, then to a certain extent, our reward is yet to come. Our, our reward has been delayed and deferred. Um, but, but for those who are seeking after earthly, temporal glory and honor in the here and now, Jesus said of the Pharisees, well, they already have it. And, and how sad is that? How sad is that? Because they have put their hope and their trust in something that is fading and something that will ultimately go away. And we are seeking to put our trust in something that is far greater and far more lasting. Um, what Jesus says is it's something um, where moth and rust do not destroy like the, the kind of earthly things that destroy material possessions, the things we're putting our hope in, they can't be destroyed by anything within this world. And so the difference seems to be this to me, between like seeking after heavenly eternal glory and seeking after earthly glory. The difference seems to be this, repentance, real repentance removes our self-focus, whereas unrepentance leaves the focus on ourselves. 
sin is all about you, right? Sin is all about you doing what you want, how you want, when you want. Repentance, though, is about turning from that self-focus and becoming Christ-focused. Rather than doing what I want, how I want, when I want, hopefully in repentance, my focus is shifting to be, what does God want? How does God want it? Um, when does God want it? That, that literally my mindset is changing. I think this is part of why, as we will see, Paul ultimately says, we have to be transformed by the renewal of our mind, by, by the changing of our focus. By, by the, like, literally, it's, it's almost like you're a, you're a horse being led around um, that, that, that just by turning your head in another direction will send you on a completely different path. That's, that's what repentance can do for us. By turning to Christ, it sets us on a completely different path. So the progression here, ideally, is that we recognize God's kindness, we turn, we turn from our self-centered life of sin, and we give our full attention to him and his will. So, so that would be kind of the context of what Paul's saying here. But the second thing I would mention is that the New Testament does tell us that God will reward us according to our works. That is not the same thing as saying that God will save us according to our works. Our works cannot save us. As Justin read earlier, it is Christ alone. Jesus is the door. He is the way. He is the truth. He is the life. No one can come to the Father except through going through the doorway of Christ. So our works cannot save us. But once we are saved, God will reward us according to our works. If we are reborn, like if, if that has happened, if we have been transformed by Christ, if we are different people now because of Christ, then it stands to reason that our actions will be different, that our desires will be different. And the perspective of Jesus seems to be that God wants you to take the things that he has given you and seek to maximize their effectiveness for the greatest good. So if you are a follower of Christ, hopefully you are actively, even now, seeking to repent of your sin and to put lingering habitual sin to death in your life so that you might better maximize the resources and the gifts and the talents and the abilities that God has given you for the greatest good. So I think the classic example of this whole concept is what is known as the parable of the talents. If you want to turn there, this is Matthew chapter 25. Matthew chapter 25, verses 14 through 30. And I'm not going to read this whole thing, but, but here's how it begins. Jesus tells this parable, and Jesus says, For it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted to them his property. It's going to be like a man going on a journey who called his servants to him and entrusted to them his property. And listen, I think that is exactly what Jesus has done. Not simply with individual believers, but it's what he's done with the church our master is gone, right? He is sitting at the right hand of God, but he will return. Like Jesus is ultimately coming back. And in his absence, we have been entrusted with this place and we have been entrusted with the people that are around us. Um, in the parable, as you may remember, he leaves, 
his three servants with different amounts of money. And what it says is he gives them different amounts of money according to their ability. And if you remember, two of them take the money and they trade with it and they make more money. And, and one of them does nothing with the money. And he, and he says, he says the reason why he did nothing with the money was because he was afraid of the master and he didn't want to lose it because he knew that the master would, would do terrible things to him if he, if he lost the money. And so the two, the first two, they have made money and they are called to enter into the joy of their master. And the third is cast out. And it's the third, ultimately, by the way, who is the self-centered one of the three. He is the one who does nothing because he is worried about what is going to happen to him. He does nothing because he's worried about himself. Now, hopefully you realize that this is not a parable about money. It's not a parable about making wise financial investments. Um, to, to, to use it for that purpose, I think, is to misuse it. It's really talking about what the Lord has given you in his kindness and, and using what he has given you for his glory and not for your own, using it for the good of others and not for your own good. Um, in this season that we now live in, this season in the in-between, between Jesus's resurrection and his ultimate return, um, it is in your actions and behavior that the true condition of your heart is seen. And so are your actions primarily self-focused or are your actions more focused on the needs of others? So, so don't, don't miss the context again of, of Romans 2. All of these things in mind, don't miss the context. Paul gets to the end of Romans 2, verse 11, and he says, God shows no partiality. That's a, that is a huge statement. Um, you, you might miss it, but it is, it is enormous because what he's ultimately saying is, like, listen, Jewish people, God is not going to treat you differently because you are Jewish. God shows no partiality. So were the Jews God's chosen people? Absolutely. Was Jesus Jewish? Yes. Was he the king of the Jews? Yes. Had God made a covenant in which he promised to bless and multiply the Jewish people? Yes, yes, yes. All, all of those things are true. Will you be saved from your sin just because you are Jewish? No. God shows no partiality. And this is Paul's whole point. You cannot go on sinning while judging the sin of other people and expect a favorable outcome for yourself. This is a textbook definition of hypocrisy, right? To just continue on in your sin, turning a blind eye to it, while judging and calling out the sin of other people, when you do the exact same thing. It's textbook hypocrisy. It's the very thing that Jesus repeatedly called out the Pharisees for. So three questions for you as we close this morning. Three questions for you to reflect on. First of all, what has God done for you, right? How has he shown his kindness to you? One of the answers to that question for all of us is simply Christ. I would say the primary way that God has shown his kindness to us is through giving his only begotten son to be crucified 
and resurrected so that we might have life. If God never did anything else for us, he has shown us a kindness that is unparalleled in what he has done for us through Christ. But in, in, in like a full, I think, manifestation of what his real character is like, God has not only given us Christ. You can look around at your life and see a multitude of blessings. You can see a multitude of forms of kindness that God has bestowed upon you. Some of these things are material in nature. Some of these things are financial in nature, resources that you have at your disposal. Some of these things are within you. They are gifts and talents that he has given you, abilities, things that you're able to do that maybe other people aren't able to do, or things that you can do easier than other people. These are all kind things that God has done for you. He didn't have to do this. You didn't deserve it, but they're things that he has done for you anyway. Um, you get to experience some of just the common graces of God that we find in our world today. I mean, we, we could literally make an endless list of the ways that God has been kind to us. But, but just start in, in your own journal, in your mind, on a piece of paper, and just start writing down what has God done for you. And take a moment and one, thank him for those things and, and just, just sit in it as well because you are undeserving of it. I am undeserving of it. And, and yet so often we forget it. Like we don't pay attention to it. We take it for granted. In the midst of the um, quarantine, you've experienced this. We have taken for granted the importance of human relationships and just being able to be present with other people. We, we have all of this language about being extroverted and introverted. And I think a lot of it is just kind of hooey, like we need each other. And yes, we are individually disposed in different ways. There are things that energize us, things that pull energy from us. I think all of those things are true, but hopefully you've seen in this time period, we need each other and, and not just in kind of an, uh, you know, kind of a proverbial sense, like we need to be present with each other as well. And there's a lot of joy and happiness that comes from that. So how has God been kind to you? What has he done for you? That's question one. The second question is this, what has God given you? I alluded to this, but not only how has he been kind to you, what do you have? What do you possess? In, in the parable of the talents, the master comes along and he gives money to these three servants. Now, God may not have given you money, or he may have, I don't know. Um, what has he given you, though? Because whatever he has given you, whether it's an actual material thing, or it's a skill, or it's a gift, or a talent, or it's some kind of resource, or something you have access to, whatever he has given you, he has given it to you for his glory, not your glory. He has given it to you for his purposes, not just your purposes. So what are those things? And then finally, what purposes or whose purposes rather are you currently living for? Would you say that I'm living more for God's purposes or would you say I'm living more for my own purposes? I, I can speak for myself. Most of the time, I, I would probably err more on the side of saying I'm living more for my own purposes. I'm living more for my own comfort, uh, my own desires, my own likes and dislikes. Um, rather than I am living primarily for the needs of others or the needs of uh, our world or uh, even living in a place where, man, I, I just want to 
know the will of God and do it and be obedient to him. Where do you fall in that spectrum? Are you living more for yourself or are you living more for him? And, and I think a hint there, it seems to me that when we are living for God's purposes, we are really moving more towards a place where we are taking into account the needs of others more than our own. I think that is the lesson of the great commandment that we talk so much about, that we would love God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love our neighbor as ourself. I think this is the place that he is taking us to. And so with all of that in mind, let us not be hypocrites. Let us not be like the people that Paul is talking to this morning. But let us remember that often we are. Often we are hypocritical. We are not removed from this. Often we are judgy. Often we turn a blind eye to our own sin while uh, being aghast at the sin of other people. This does not please the Lord in any way, shape, or form. He desires for us to look at the kindness that he has given to us through Christ, but also all these other things that I've mentioned, and allow those things through the power of his spirit to lead us to repentance. Now, I want to leave us with a scripture this morning. You would turn with me. This is Philippians chapter 3. This is also the Apostle Paul writing. He's writing to the church in Philippi. Philippians 3. Here's what he says. Just meditate on this this week. Philippians 3, beginning in verse 3. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility... Count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Guys, this is everything that we just read in Romans 1. Allow his kindness to lead you to a place where you are seeking to model what Christ has modeled for us. Just pure humility, pure obedience. Even though he was God, he became one of us and lived among us and humbled himself and became obedient to God, even to the point of death. And so God has rewarded him, it says. God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name. And in the same way, we are called to humble ourselves and seek to be obedient to God in all ways. And it says... He will reward us as well, according to our works. So let us meditate on those words this week. Let us seek to 
not only be aware of the sin that's in our life, but let us turn from it because of his kindness. And let us turn our gaze, our attention away from ourselves to the needs of others so that we might glorify God and show our love and affection to him for what he has done for us. Let us pray this morning. Father, you are so good, and we thank you for this scripture today. I pray, God, as always, that you would um, communicate it into our minds and hearts. Father, don't let these words wash over us. Don't let them go over our heads. Instead, embed them in us. God, would you call them to mind as we wake up in the morning and as we go to bed at night? Would you remind us of your kindness? Would you remind us of what you've done for us through Christ? Remind us of the gospel. And Father, truly help us to be shaped by it, to pattern our lives after the example that we just read in Philippians of, of what Christ did. Help us to follow him in that, that way of extreme humility down that narrow pathway. Father, Help us to be obedient to your spirit. Help us to listen to your spirit. Help us to get rid of the noise and commotion in our life, in our own heart, and to turn over ourselves to you fully. We love you, Jesus, and it's in your name we pray. Amen.